text, the text she read from is 1 John chapter 4. This is from actual the Gospel of John, chapter 15, verses 1 through 8. Hear now the word of our Lord. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine grower. He removes every branch in me that bears no fruit. Every branch that bears fruit he prunes to make it bear more fruit. You have already been cleansed by the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me as I abide in you. Just as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches and those who abide in me and I in them bear much fruit. Because apart from me, you can do nothing. Whoever does not abide in me is thrown away like a branch and withers. Such branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask for whatever you wish and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and become my disciples. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So here's a passage uh, from another uh, possibly sacred text, if you're in that tradition. This is from St. Augustine's Confessions, but it's a pretty powerful passage. I just want to read this for you just a second. Augustine asks, And what is this God? I asked the earth. And it answered, I am not he. And all the things that are on the earth confess the same answer. I asked the sea and the deeps and the creeping things and the living souls, and they replied, We are not your God. Look above us. I asked the blowing breezes and the universal air with all its inhabitants, and they answered, I am not God. And I asked the heaven, the sun, the moon, the stars, and no, they said, we are not the God for whom you are looking. And I said to all those things which stand above the gates of my senses, tell me something about my God, you who are not he. Tell me something about him. And they cried in a loud voice, he made us. We are truly at home in the places where we are fully loved, where we are fully animated by love. The resurrection frees us, see, to be at home in God's love. In God's love, we discover who we truly are. If you're like me, then when the end of the day comes, you can't wait to put the world behind you and go home and lay down on the easy chair and rest. At home, you can rest, you can escape, you can put the world behind you and all the chaos and the anxiety and everything that comes with it. Maybe you're like me and you change in your PJs as soon as you walk in the door. But when we come home in the sense that Jesus calls us to, it's not escape from the world. Rather, it's a call to radically engage with it. I know that homes aren't always safe places, but they're supposed to be. Homes are supposed to be those places where you're safe and secure, where you can rest and find restoration. Homes are places of hope and dreams, right? They're the places where you really start to establish yourself. You discover who you are. You spend time with the people that you love. Home is where you are fully loved, right? Or it's supposed to be. Home is the place where you're animated by love, where your actions are with people who you love deeply. 
At home, you discover what love looks like so that when you go back out into the world, you know how to act with people who are not always loving. At least that's the way it's supposed to work. When uh, someone comes to you and says, hey, let's move in together. That can be a challenging uh, invitation, right? You get a new set of keys and you look and you start thinking, oh, my life is going to change. And you start imagining, right, if you have the home of your dreams, where you're going to put things, how you're going to rearrange things, and how this new place is going to shape your life, what kind of person you're going to become because of being there. But when you're moving in with someone else, you know it's an invitation to intimacy, right? And it's risky because now you're not just imagining your own life and your own security and your own dreams, but your life in relationship to someone else. And if it's a home that they're already living and they invite you, you're going to be shaping your life with their life, right? And it can be a challenge because those, that person or those people already have their life together and you're going to have to figure out how you fit in, right? But if two of you decide to move in together, then that becomes a debating match about whose dream is most important, where the furniture is going to sit, where the TV is going to be. Or maybe you figure out, oh, this is more important to you. You can have this room. This one's more important to me. But you figure out how you're going to shape your life together, your dreams together, your hopes together. Your dreams and your hopes and the shape of your life become mutually tangled up together, right? Who you're going to become is tied with that person. Your safety, your security, your dreams are tangled with the dreams and the lives and the security of other, another person. When Jesus says, abide in me, it's not any different. Jesus is asking us that our safety, that our dreams, that the shape of our life now becomes tangled with his. That we imagine what our lives can be in relationship to Jesus' life. But here's the thing. I think that many of us, when we hear Jesus say, abide with me, we probably imagine it somewhat similar to the children this morning. Well, where does God live if God is inviting us to abide with him? Well, when Jesus says, abide with me, I think it's not the same thing as many of us think. Because Jesus, see, didn't have the same imagination of God that most of us do. God is up there. See, Jesus, I want to get with you. When Jesus says, abide with me, he's not talking about disembodied immortal souls. That when you die, your spirit somehow or another floats away. Because that image asks us to think about being with God as a mode of escape or evasion. That the world isn't good enough for us, so we have to get out of it as soon as we can. But if you look at the story of Jesus, you find out that is not how Jesus lived at all. That is not what the love of God looked like in Jesus' life at all. So how can we start to rethink then what it looks like for us to abide not just with God, but with the God that Jesus bore witness to? The God who Jesus talks about. What does it mean to abide with Jesus? Well, I want to read uh, something for you. Many of you know that I have a deep spiritual connection with the writings of Wendell Berry. So hear what Wendell Berry says about the notion of disembodied souls. Oh, saints, he says, if I'm eligible for this prayer, though less worthy of this dear desire, and if your prayers have influence in heaven, 
Let my place there be lower than your own. I know how you longed here where you lived as exiles for the presence of the essential being and maker and knower of all things, but because of my unruliness or some erring virtue virtue in my never rightly schooled, some erred clear and dear, my life has not taught me your desire for flight. Dismattered pure and free, I long instead for the heaven of creatures, of seasons, of day and night. Heaven enough for me would be this world as I know it, but redeemed of our abuse of it and one another. It would be the heaven of knowing again. There's no marrying in heaven. I submit this. Even so, I would like to know my wife again, both of us young again and remembering always how I loved her when she was old. I would like to know my children again, all the family, all my dear ones, to see, to hear, to hold more carefully than before, to study them lingeringly as one studies old verses, committing them to heart forever. I would like again to know my friends, my old companions, men and women, horses and dogs, in all the ages of our lives here in this place that I have watched over my life in all its moods and seasons, never enough. I will be leaving how many beauties overlooked? A painful heaven this would be, for I would know by it how far I have fallen short. I have not paid enough attention. I have not been grateful enough, and yet this pain would be the measure of my love. In eternities once and now, Pain would place me surely in, in the heaven of my earthly love. See, heaven, a disembodied heaven for Wendell Berry is not heaven at all because all the things that he loves dearly would not be there. But heaven for Wendell Berry is the earth redeemed, restored, with all the things that are good, all magnified. See, it's hard to get out of the habit of thinking about heaven as a place out of this world. But the teachings of Jesus, they tell us something important about heaven that maybe we've overmissed, overlooked. If indeed heaven is where Jesus abides, then heaven is out of this world not because it's not material, because it's immaterial, but because of our relationships today are still operative in a way that's governed by violation and wounding rather than peace, healing, and restoration. Do you hear what I'm saying here? That heaven for Jesus is not a disembodied immaterial world somewhere else, but it's this world, not governed by violation and wounding, but by peace and love and restoration. If we hear the resurrection of Jesus say to us, abide with me, he's not asking us to leave the world. He's inviting us to be animated by love in the same way that he was. To practice the resurrection like he did in a way that helps us be at home in the world the way that Jesus was home in the world. Fully animated by the love of God. From this perspective, um, Norman Versba, he's a writer a uh, theologian at Duke University, he puts it this way. He says, the ultimate goal of the whole of creation is for every creature to be so suffused and empowered by Jesus' love that its life is an unending witness to the ways of peace and joy. Did you like that word, suffused? So suffused and empowered by Jesus' love for the world that it's an unending witness to peace and joy. 
The goal of creation is to be so suffused by the love of God that it's a never-ending witness to peace and joy. When we ask to escape this world, see, we have no commitment to it. It can become a place of fear and indifference, but it cannot become a place where we encounter the sacred manifestation of God. God all around us. See, coming home to God is not us escaping the world. It's about being at home in the love of God, the love that everything else exists for. To be able to see who we are the way that God sees us. To be able to see the world the way that God sees the world. To be able to dream with God about what it would look like for God and us together to decide what this world looks like rather than us pretending that we're here by ourselves. There's a couple of people I want to give you as examples. It's one thing to talk about being so suffused with the love of God, but here's a couple of people that I think show us what it looks like to be at home in the love of God, to be so suffused and empowered by Jesus' love that their life bears witness. So one such person, her name is Kristen Skrobanek. So Kristen was at a church that I previously pastored, but she was one day in a Bible study, and she was listening to the words, and she was creatively trying to figure out what does it mean for her life to be at home in the love of God. Well, what she did was then she went and she got a box and she decided that she was going to take every month for a year and fill that box up with food and then find a needy person or family in the community and give it to them. Within a year, she had an entire army of volunteers and now she has a large nonprofit in South Jersey she got, she got recognized by Fox 29, I think it is, in Philadelphia as being one of those innovators, these, the you-go-girl kind of person. But the thing is, is that she feeds hundreds of families every month now, not because she, someone in her church told her, here's a project, not because she was sitting around one day and had an army of volunteers who were skilled and knew how to do this, but because she had an idea and it empowered her so much that it was contagious. That a whole bunch of people saw the love of God in her and said, I want to be a part of that. Whatever it is that she's doing, I want to do that. There's, uh, some, uh, there's a couple that I have met a couple of times. I spent some time with them last night. And... Uh, yeah, looking at Mark and, and Rebecca, they're shaking their head. Yeah, Jerry and Mary Gannon. So they're uh, members of a community called the Voices of Faith here in New Jersey. And they, uh, they just in their mind just came up with this idea that maybe they could be a center for re receiving refugees. And they started talking to other people. And the next thing you know, several houses of worship said, we want to be involved in that. How can we make that happen? And then in November of 2016, they created an organization called RAMP and invited a family from a war-torn Syria to come here to live in Morris County. Now, the or larger organization, um, Church World Services, said, you can't do that. Not in Morris County. I mean, maybe over in Newark, but you can't do that in Morris County. They didn't believe that there would be enough of us that cared enough about these people that we would be able to put our resources together to care for them. But last night, I saw Jerry and Mary Gannon's contagious spirit. These two old folks who 
They, there's no way that they could do this on their own, but they had the love of God in them so much that it not just changed them, it changed an entire community of people. An entire county of people are now gathered together. Last night when Jerry was talking, he had tears in his eyes. He was getting choked up, having a hard time talking about watching the war in Syria on the news, knowing that if he had not been a part of making a difference in the life of this family that we invited, they would have been there. That that family would have been there in Syria when all this was happening. And when the mother got up and she started talking about her own family, all her siblings, all her friends are dead. She's not. Her family's taken care of because there were people who were so suffused with the love of God, they were willing to do something. They had something creative in them. I think that every person in this room has the ability to pray and find that love of God, empower them to do, come up with something creative. Now, here's the thing. Maybe you're like me. Maybe you moved into the church and the church, the table was already set and the furniture was already where it belonged. So you were invited to move into a place where you weren't really kind of part of the dreaming about what would become. But that's not what Jesus means when he says, abide with me. He's asking us to move in together, that this place can become the place where all of us imagine together what it looks like to live God's love out in the world. What I'm asking you to do is to imagine that you're part of that puzzle, that each one of you have the ability to creatively think about what it would look like if Brookside Community Church was so infused with the love of God that when people saw us, they said, oh my gosh, whatever it is that they're doing, I want to be a part of that. That people walk away from here feeling like, ah, I, from being with this place, I really know what it means to love well. I really know what God's love looks like. The only way that we can do that is not pretend that the table is already set for us and that this place is a place where we've been invited to move in, but only participate by watching how things work. We've been invited to make this space our home to abide with God. So the resurrection, see, it's about changing our perspective. It's not about us leaving the world, but it's about us seeing the world as the creative expression of the love of God. Rather than being shaped by fear, the resurrection frees us to live animated by the power of the spirit of life. When Jesus says, abide in me, he's not inviting us to escape the world, but to reshape our lives with him, to rethink who we are and the shape of our life in relationship to who God is. So there's a, another couple of people. I couldn't mention Ramp last night without also mentioning how that there are members of our own congregation who have spent countless hours. I was talking last night to Gay, uh, Mark's wife, about uh, what it takes to be a part of RAMP and how could we get the congregation more involved. And she just looked, just like, almost took a, a couple of steps back from me. He's like, that's not possible. Uh, because it's so much time. It takes so much work to be able to find when these families need a ride to the doctor, to the dentist, to the social services, to get an ID, to get to work. This whole community has gathered around. So... I want to just say, uh, Mark and Gay, and uh, here's, this is for you. I, uh, 
This is a gift. Go out to eat. <laughs> and Rebecca, we have one for you too. If you want to find out what it looks like to be so in love with the world that you're willing to give your time, attention, and all your energy in order to make it work, we have people here who do that. And I'm not just asking about serving on a committee so that you can sit and do paperwork or to have endless conversations about things that maybe don't matter. But I'd be about being able to be with people, be with creation in a way that you know that your time and energy is keeping someone safe, keeping someone whole, helping them know what healing looks like. So my invitation to you today is this. Can we become a people who know what it means to reshape our lives? Not just in a way that we exit the building, but that we're able to come to grips with who we truly are, who God created us to be. See, it's less like moving into a new home and more like returning home to where we always belong. So when Jesus says, abide with me, he's inviting us home so that we together can live into the fullness of God's love. Amen.